0: Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason chaffetz This week, we're going to walk you through some uh, a couple quick thoughts on the news, highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere, and then we're going to phone a friend. We're going to talk to Seth Dillon of the Babylon Bee. He's doing amazing things. You know what? The New York Times and some of these other organizations, social media companies, they're going after him because I think he's really striking a nerve um, with the liberal left. And you're going to want to hear from him why that is. What is it that the Babylon Bee is doing that's getting the left so triggered? Uh, I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Seth Dillon, and that's coming up in just a moment. But let's first, uh, let's talk about some things in the news. All right. Do you remember the old IRS scandal? Do you remember the time when uh, Daryl Issa and Dave Camp, the two chairmen there, one at Ways and Means, one at the Oversight Committee? And then certainly what was going over there in the United States Senate where it was exposed, the uh, IRS was using a political bludgeoning tool. What they were doing is they were suppressing the rights and the abilities of people to um allow their organizations to file for tax exempt status. We went through this whole process. I'm not going to walk you through the whole Lois Learner revelation about how there was all this information. But I can tell you from my time in Congress, I spent years you know, pursuing this. Um, and then listening to what the inspector general there had there's in Congress, I should say outside of Congress there is what's called TIGDA. Tigda is the um, is the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. So this organization is essentially the Inspector General of the IRS. And we heard such troubling reports. You know, at one point, there was a subpoena in place to get documents to figure out what was going on at the IRS. Oh, and just conveniently, whoops, Lois Lerner's computer, a few days, literally a few days later was just gosh, he was, he was missing. And it was that, you know, the, the, the program had like malfunctioned and Oh, what a shame that was. And so he went on this hunt to go find this machine. And, uh, as the, uh, the inspector general would later testify, it's as if the IRS didn't even look for it because they actually found it. Um, and so we started through this quest to try to get and expose this. You know what else was really active in this was Congressman Ron DeSantis of Florida, now the governor of Florida. He and I and uh, a number of people worked on this project very specifically because they were suppressing First Amendment rights of Americans who really wanted to um, engage and do so in a rightful way. Well, there the reason I bring all that up as background is because... There is an IRS uh, official who told a Christian group that, quote, Bible teachings are typically affiliated, end quote, with Republican Party. And so this group that is called Christians Engaged filed an appeal with the IRS because they were denied tax exempt status. Um, because according to the IRS, they were trying to be involved in, quote, prohibited political campaign intervention and operates for a substantial non-exempt private purpose and for the private interest of the Republican Party. And it just goes on and on. It says, quote, specifically, you educate Christians on what the Bible says in areas they can be instrumental, including the areas of sanctity of life. The definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, defense, and borders, and immigration, U.S. and Israeli relations. The Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the, it says D party, but it means Republican in there up top. So the Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican party and candidates. This disqualifies you from exemption under IRS section 501c3. So essentially, because you follow the Bible, you like the Bible, you're encouraging people to read the Bible. And the Bible essentially says, well, then you should vote for Republicans. Therefore, you cannot participate in the public square as a tax exempt entity. That is absurd. That is the most stupid thing I could possibly imagine. So it kind of qualifies for bringing on the stupid, but it's kind of my riff on the news about what in the world is going on. Um, It's going to qualify for both, but I hope we're paying attention to this. And let's remember all those Democrats out there and say, oh, why are you worried about this? Oh, that's been debunked. No, it hasn't. I remember when Barack Obama... Did an interview with uh, Bill O'Reilly. It was Super Bowl Sunday. They do that traditional interview on Super Bowl Sunday. And when asked about the IRS uh, scandal, and by the way, there were five open investigations at the time. Five. Um, Five investigations going on. President Obama went out there and said, "Uh, you know what, there's some people that did some silly stuff that they shouldn't have done, but there's not even a smidgen of corruption there at the IRS. Not even a smidgen. So he presupposed the conclusion without knowing and understanding what the investigators were going to find. And at the very end of it, the reason that Barack Obama is totally 100% wrong is that the Department of Justice had to settle out of court with these more than 400 organizations that were denied their tax-exempt status. The uh, The U.S. Treasury... Your taxpayer dollars had to go pay off these organizations. But remember, it came at a time when it was approaching an election and they were prohibited from participating and having their voices heard. And that was so, so wrong. All right, time to bring on the stupid... because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, we have two candidates this week, and my, the second one is probably my favorite, but you know what? You can judge for yourself. But you got to love these Ukrainian lovers that I read about, Alexander Kudle and Victoria Pustavostova. I can't pronounce her last name. Anyway, this young couple, and i they even showed a picture of it. This young couple... Um, had been dating for a while. They would gotten to know each other, but they had a little bit of a spat. And um, in order to bond and become closer to each other, uh, to actually see if they would be even more compatible, they did something that my wife, Julie, and I, well, we haven't tried this. Um, I don't think we ever will. <laughs> um, and maybe you at home have tried this. Uh, but... They decided in order to show how much they love and to become closer, they handcuffed themselves to each other for 123 days. So imagine that, handcuffing yourself to your lover for 123 days. Now, that doesn't leave a lot of space for personal private time, like maybe bowments um things like that evidently according to the article one of the things that really bothered the 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 victoria in this is that she liked to put on um eye makeup and eyelashes and whatever girls ladies do with that but he had to hover over her while she did that and remember they're handcuffs, so his hand is going to be right in her face 123 days later. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be shocked because uh, they finally undid the handcuffs. Remember they did this voluntarily. They undid the handcuffs and they are no longer a couple. That to me is bringing on this stupid. I can't believe they did that. All right. Second one. Uh, I wrote about this for Fox I did an op-ed about it that I posted up on social media too. And this is about, Hunter Biden's newfound love of art. Suddenly, you know, Hunter Biden is going along in life and, hey, haven't been on the board of directors for an oil and gas company in Ukraine. Maybe I should try that. Oh my gosh, it worked. You know, I I haven't gone to China to go get millions of dollars invested in some companies that I could get paid off on. Oh my gosh, it worked. And so now Hunter Biden in his brilliance has decided that, you know what, I'm really good at painting things. And so I'm gonna be an artist. Now, of course, this newfound love of art, he may have been fostering it for years and years, but he decided that, hey, he was gonna start marketing this. Just happened that that was after, after daddy decided that he was going to run for president. And voila, dad became the president. And guess what? The value of Hunter Biden's art has just accelerated. Amazingly, according to news reports, his pieces of art are now fetching close to $500,000. Pretty good for a novice. What a track record. Oil and gas executive. Investor in China. And now he's going out to hawk his, you know, his art. $500,000 $500,000 a pop some of these could get. Of course, he's not going to disclose who's giving you that money. Of course, he's not going to disclose how much he's making. And of course, he's kind of conveniently forgetting that last year, literally last year, the United States Senate issued a report saying the way a lot of these Russian oligarchs and others are laundering money around the world is through art. What a great way to get close to the president's family. No harm, no foul there. There can be millions of dollars flowing into the family Biden business. Oh, and by the way, we forgot that Frank, the brother of Joe Biden, he had trouble because, you know what, more than 15 times now, I think it's 15 times, not more than, 15 times he's actually been pulled over for traffic violations there in Florida. Oh, and you know what, he was pulled over after his brother Joe became the president. And he was charged with something. He was supposed to have a court date a few days ago. And guess what? Oh, the police officer failed to show up to it. So the judge dismissed the case. Evidently, this person had been assigned to training that day. Couldn't attend the court case. And so Frank Biden got off again. It's just unbelievable and how stupid it is that Joe Biden's personal, I mean, the smartest person on the planet his son that's what he calls him the smartest person on the planet is scamming people out of this money and not disclosing the conflicts of interest and his brother is not being charged because he's the president of the united states these people are allegedly breaking the law when they're they're driving the way they've been driving look at that case that to me is stupid folks and if we don't stand up and actually say something about it shame on us so that's bringing on the stupid this week. All right. Now we're going to talk to Seth Dillon. Uh, Seth Dillon is the CEO of the Babylon Bee. And if you haven't experienced it, these people are making some waves. And they're making some waves because they put out some really funny stuff. It's called satire, ladies and gentlemen. And they take something, they take it to the absurd, and it's just funny. You may have seen it on social media or their website. They do articles. They do memes. But the Babylon Bee has really been a favorite of mine. I go to them. I, I sign up for their daily you know, dose that comes my way. And it's just funny. But I really wanted to bring them on the podcast because they've also attracted the attention of some real liberals out there that have just triggered them. I mean, they triggered the New York Times like you wouldn't believe. And so I want to phone Seth Dillon, never met, never talked to Seth before, but we're able to get him on this, on this, uh, podcast. So let's call Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee. Hey, how are you? Hey, thanks for letting me call you. You and I haven't crossed paths before, but I appreciate you joining the, uh, Jason in the house podcast.
1: No, we haven't crossed paths, but uh, I'm glad you gave me a call.
0: Well, look, I see your work a lot. You know, the Babylon Bee, for those that haven't seen it, experienced it, this is just some funny stuff. And Seth, what you've got there and what you're doing and how you're doing it, I just was hoping to learn a little bit more about it because. Boy, there's uh, there aren't many people that trigger folks on the far left end of the political spectrum, sort of like you do. You seem to be pinching a nerve over there somehow, particularly with the New York Times. And I- I'm just fascinated by that. And and I don't know if you've got like two dudes in the corner writing some funny stuff, or you got a thousand people all you know huddled together, but. The product that you come up with, the content is really pretty
1: funny. I appreciate that. I mean, look, we're we're doing something that the left has historically done very well, right? I mean, they're 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 extremely good at ridiculing people and making them look stupid and silly. And I think for for them, a lot of it is, um, you know, there's there's a lack of of real solid arguments to be made, so they engage in a lot of ad hominem. And I think that's what a lot of the late night comedy is is doing, um, it's very successful for them because, you know, they're able to make their opponents, their political opponents look silly. Um, but, you know, I, I think as conservatives, we have both the arguments and we now have uh, an outlet for the humor. And what we tend to focus on is the ideas, not the people. So rather than attacking the person, our, our main job is to ridicule bad ideas. And they don't like it when we come after the ideas that they, that they cherish, that they value. Or the people who are advancing them so yeah they do bristle at that and uh and they respond sometimes with attacks
0: yeah for those that have not experienced it it really is parody and it really does expose the absurdity of some of these concepts into the extreme and and that's what i you know back from shakespeare's day on forward and and sure even before that that was what um the illumination of the absurdity um really exposed some truths but seth go back for me for a second we don't know much about your background but you know uh, this entity as i understand it was already in place you desired decided to acquire it but i need i want to go back even further like way back when like why how did you gravitate to this? Like, how did you see that this was something that was missing on sort of the conservative end of the political spectrum? Why, why did you decide to pursue this? Because it is like pushing water uphill and you, you may have a good concept, but you also have to come up with really good content in order to be successful, but you are successful and you are coming up with good content.
1: Well, I always had an affection for um, not just comedy, but, but satire and parody I loved I loved the Onion, um, you know, growing up reading that and laughing along with that. Uh, For for me, you know, I wasn't really that in touch with politics in my younger life and didn't really care that much whether I was ideologically or politically aligned with what I was reading. I I just thought it was funny. A lot of the a lot of the jokes were were brilliant. Um, And satire satire has this interesting way of exaggerating the truth to make its points. That's you know jarring and 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 fascinating and and uh, and engaging. Um, so I've I've always loved that kind of humor, and when I saw back in 2017, 2018, the Babylon Bee really exploding on the scene in the conservative world, and and these articles were getting shared like crazy, including with me. I was seeing them pop up in my feed all the time, and my friends sharing them. Um, I just reached out to its founder, this guy Adam Ford, had started the site in 2016, and he really just saw that there's this big void there where no one was doing what the left was doing well with. Saturday Night Live and The Onion and, and these late night shows and what what they were doing so well by bringing mockery and ridicule and irony and sarcasm and just this snarky attitude to the issues the right wasn't doing that and so he 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 felt he had the talent and ability to create a site that could do that and and sure enough he did and the and the and the void that he saw there really was this place where there was a, a massive demand for something um, because the site just took off like wildfire right out the gate so. By the time I got involved in 2018, it was already doing millions of page views a month, Um, and we've just grown it a lot since then. So uh, it really is, though, it comes down to the talented people who are involved in in the ideas. You know, we have have some really super talented guys and, and girls who are just very creative.
0: You know, I, I have no idea how old you are, but I'm old enough to remember, like, as a little kid, Johnny Carson. But then really kind of when I became a teenager and later, I, you know, you had David Letterman and particularly Jay Leno. I always, for some reason, I gravitated more to Jay Leno than just about anybody else. And I felt like back then they were taking some very funny shots on a daily basis. I mean, having to write daily material but that it was much more balanced. You know, if if uh, if Bill Clinton was the president, they would t- go after Bill Clinton. If there was a candidate, you know, out there, they would go after that candidate. When Ronald Reagan was president, they would go after Ronald Reagan, you know. And so, yeah, but it had a it, there was a degree of balance out there where if you were a big public figure and you did something stupid or there was something funny, they highlighted it. But now it seems like it's just hyper-partisan to some political goals, and never mind if a Democrat does something silly. I mean, Joe Biden's got an awful lot of material out there.
1: Yeah, you'd think it would just be uh, there's just tons of fodder, but look, they're, they're so protective of their own. Uh, and they and they've also created this crazy environment where everyone's walking on eggshells. You know, everyone's afraid they're going to get canceled for making an inappropriate joke or remark, or stereotyping or something like that. So um, they've they've really done a lot to handcuff themselves and muzzle themselves as far as what they're able to joke about. Um, and I think that's created a huge opportunity for conservatives. I mean, we're we're out there making jokes that you're not supposed to make, and I think other comedians are are sensing the need to continue to do that, or otherwise they're just going to. See, you know, their their speech rights just erode right before their eyes. So um, I think that you know, if if we're out there on the front lines doing that and doing it successfully, hopefully it will embolden and encourage other people. We don't need to be the only ones. Uh, I'd I'd love to see a variety of voices on the conservative side making the jokes you're not supposed to make, engaging in that wrong thing, and being funny with it. You know, that's what we need right now is to take everything and everyone a little bit less seriously.
0: Yeah, you know, not everything needs to be political all the time. I mean, that 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 I think people step in and watch sports or they want to go watch a movie or you know, whatever it might be and step away from politics. I mean, there's a, there's a role of politics in our world, but it doesn't need to be omnipresent. It doesn't need to be just literally everywhere. How, how much of this set do you think is um really is part of the trump derangement syndrome i mean trump triggered people like i i mean i had never seen and and suddenly people just could not even see straight
1: well we saw it from both angles because we tried to do you know you're talking about balance and and uh and how the left is is not willing to really poke fun at their own i think it's one of the things that was so refreshing about the babylon b when i got involved in it is that there was so much self-deprecating humor and there was a willingness to go after people on the right as well as the left, you know, wherever the absurdity is, wherever the hypocrisy is, wherever the, you know, the, um, the attitudes and ideas that need to be made fun of exist, uh, we should make fun of them and, and, and have fun doing it. So, I mean, Trump was one of our biggest targets while he was president. We made, we made fun of Trump more than anybody else. There's thousands of articles on our website about Trump. So, you know, it, but, but we saw, it was, it's crazy because yes, the left is so, they responded so viscerally and, uh, and negatively to Trump. Um, but then you had a lot of people on the right who just absolutely worship the ground he walked on. And every time we made a joke about him, they would get upset. So we were kind of upsetting everyone for quite a while.
0: Yeah. But you know what? I, I, I have come to truly appreciate and like the policies instituted by Donald Trump and the personal time that I was able to spend with him. Very fortunate to do so. I had a great experience. Um, but you know what? If there was a joke about something, I could laugh at it, and it right, wasn't exactly. going to be like, "Hey, it, that, just because I laugh at a joke or I forward something doesn't mean I dislike the policy or the person less."
1: And- well, this is the thing: everybody with, sat- with satire, everybody loves satire, right up until it it's pointed at them and it's something <laughs> personal to them, and then all of a sudden, oh, we've crossed a line. This time, we've taken it too too far. You know, we get those emails every day. I usually like Sapphire, but, and then we know what's coming.
0: (laughs) Well, I know I will have made it at some point in my life. If somehow, some way I could be the subject of a, one of your, um, I don't know what format it would come in, but you you guys do such funny stuff. Um, Let's, let's go back to that, that cancel culture, because it really is. I mean, the left is kind of trying to take it to the extreme and and take you on in a way that, I don't know, did you see that coming? I mean, there's one thing to try to poo-poo it and push it aside, but explain to people who aren't as familiar with the Babylon Bee and what you all have gone through and you as the CEO, uh, what they're trying to do to take you down.
1: Yeah, so cancel culture manifests itself in a kind of unique way for us. it's not like we said something that we regret years ago that they've dug up and are trying to, you know, hold it over our head and get us to grovel and apologize or else, you know, face the van hammer. We are, we are, uh, we're basically just ridiculing and mocking people and ideas that they don't want us to. And so they found a creative way of, of attacking us. And it's this roundabout thing where, um, you know, the social networks, as everybody knows, the social networks have gotten serious about, Trying to uh, curb the spread of misinformation and fake news over the course of the last few years, uh, it's been a big challenge for them to try to to try to tackle that problem. Um, one of the ways that they've tried to do that is with fact checking, and so they're rating stories from publications true or false, and you know giving these publications scores and and limiting them and, or even banning them based on their history of spreading false or misleading information. Um, and, you know, the liberal legacy media has taken advantage of that and is trying to lump us in with, this, with the spreaders of fake news, the purveyors of fake news. They're, they are uh, pointing to these fact checks where satire gets fact checked here and there and in, in trying to suggest that too many people believe our stories are true and that, that somehow impugns our motives like we're trying to fool people and the fact that the, the, you know, Snopes and, and whoever are rating our stories False all the time means that, you know, we should be deplatformed because we're not really satire. We're fake satire, as Brian Stelter put it. So, I mean, we've had this ongoing thing now for the last few years where there have been many different attempts from different publications. Most recently, New York Times have called us a far right misinformation site that sometimes trafficked in misinformation. Um, we got them to correct that and retract that by by threatening legal action against them because it's just not based on anything. That's just their that's their way of trying to lump us in with fake news. And if, and if those lies stick in, in reliable sources like Wikipedia or New York Times, I, I say I use the term reliable sources very loosely. Uh, I'm putting <laughs> it in scare quotes right Especially now. Especially that say. name. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, when it, but, but when they make those claims about us, that sticks. It can end up, you know, it, the, when who do you think the social networks look to to decide who's fake news? They look to fact checkers, third parties like Snopes. They look to media sources and how they characterize sites like ours. So. Um, so we've had to, as much as we want to keep these things really light, joke about them, you know, make fun of the New York Times and how they're actually trafficking and misinformation under the guise of journalism. Um, we love to do that. But but we, we also have to take very seriously these efforts to mischaracterize us maliciously because um, they ultimately could have an impact on our business uh, by resulting in us getting like deplatformed from the social network. So that's that's can in a, in a nutshell. That's kind of the angle that they've taken to to cancel us. And it all started uh, a very funny beginning to the story. It started with a, an article about how CNN had purchased industrial sized washing machines to spin the news in before publishing. it. I mean, that was the headline that they, that Snopes fact checked, and then, and then Facebook threatened to, to close our page and demonetize us if, if we continued spreading fake news. So, I mean, it's just absurd the kind of stuff that they've gone after, but you know, I don't put anything past them at this point. That's for sure.
0: I, I still remember that. And that's, to suggest that to take it so seriously that they had literally gone down to buy industrial size machines to, to, to I mean, how can anybody look at that and say, Oh, come on folks. They're, that's not, they're not trying to do a date, you know, a deep fake news story and uh, right.
1: Well, Snopes know. said, uh, the, the founder of Snopes, David Mickelson he said they only fact check stuff that, that crosses a th- certain threshold. There have to be a, a number of complaints or questions, inquiries about the story, asking them if it's true or false. Um, and then they fact check these things that, they're basically saying it's, it's it's by by demand, you know, wherever the demand is for fact check. I don't believe that anybody thought that story was true. I mean, it's just absurd on the face of it. It's, it's one of those examples of satire that's not really uh, bumping up against the truth, but is just kind of uh, silly and absurd, but ma- still making a point. Um, But, you know, I I also object to him saying, you know, he says that they don't have the power to deplatform anyone. That was one of the statements that he made in an interview with the New York Times in in response to us complaining about their fact checks and what they were, the way they were kind of slandering us in these fact checks. Um, And it's not really true. He does have the power because he has the power to determine how we're characterized. He can characterize us as satire or he can mischaracterize us as fake news. And if he mischaracterizes us, then he will result in his actions will result in us getting deplatformed be because, you know, Facebook and Twitter and the like take take what he says very seriously.
0: You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Seth Dillon right after this. Fox News Radio on demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today it's been my experience that part of what happens is it's the suppression. The suppression is very real. They can say, Oh, well, we didn't take you down. Um, But you know, I think they're the social media sites. I think they're lying to me. Uh, I, I tend to think there's an FTC, you know, a federal trade commission. I think it's a unfair trade practice to try to tout that. I have a quarter of a million people following me on Twitter But when I go ahead and send out a tweet that they don't like or maybe hits an algorithm that they think is, uh, you know, hey, it's going to be political. Oh, it's going to mention Fauci, Dr. Fauci. Or, oh, hey, it's going to mention, um, you know, something that's maybe a little bit inconvenient to their political leanings. Then they go ahead and use that algorithm to suppress the distance in which my tweet will actually go. And I think it's also misleading to say, hey, we're going to let you follow this person, but we're not really going to let you see what they see unless you click through and go directly to them. So right. that's my concern about the Babylon B. You put something that is cutting, that is um, funny, um, but maybe sheds some light and uh, illuminates things that the, the Democrats or the liberals don't want, and they just,
1: they'll just they uh, just suppress it. We're, you're definitely seeing some of that, and this is what's hard to prove because... We can't peel back the curtain and see what's going on behind the scenes. Um, But, you know, with Facebook in particular, uh, we used to go crazy viral on Facebook all the time. You know, our our articles would get tens or hundreds of thousands of shares, in some cases into the millions. Um, And then all of a sudden, just before the election last year, that all stopped. Um, Our reach plummeted dramatically, even as our audiences continued to grow on that platform. Um, and it's radio silence over there when we inquire about that, you know, like what's, what's going on here now they've, they have released some, uh, you know, some, they've got this like news quality score algorithm where they're rating publications based on how reliable they are. And that's, that's limiting their reach. If they're unreliable, they're not going to get seen by as many people. They're not necessarily banning everyone who's unreliable. They're just, you know, deboosting them in the, in the algorithm. So we've, what we've tried to get a handle on is, are they applying that to us? Are they treating us as an unreliable source of information, even though we're an entertainment site? We're not a news site. Are we getting lumped in with that, into that bucket? Right. And we cannot get a straight answer from them on that. They ignore my email. They'll respond to every question I ask except that one. They will not answer it.
0: Yeah, this is where I think there's going to have to be a well-funded and savvy lawsuit in order to get to the core of how they do that and again i that's either going to be a regulatory body like the federal trade commission um or it's going to be uh, somebody in a civil suit that'll take years to play out i understand that but i can tell you as a conservative who had nearly a million people uh through all the different social media sites um yeah i send something out political and then i look at it and it's got like 15 likes and i'm like right that's just statistically not possible and then i i put up another one that says i like my dog and i have a picture of my dog and suddenly i've got like 60,000 people that you know right. love it and right. like really you're telling me you- <laughs> i'm
1: not being surprised? nobody suppressed? saw the other one they just didn't show it to anybody
0: yeah and and th- yeah. that's how i think they fly a bit under the radar and don't get called out um for, for what they're doing. Let's go back. Are there any favorites that you have there at the Babylon Bee? I mean, can you give us a little bit of behind the scenes? How do you crank out such good quality? I mean, it's just funny material. I don't laugh at everything, but um, yeah. how does that process work?
1: So it all starts with the headline. The joke is in the headline. And there's actually, there's a lot of people who never even read the articles. They just, they just browse the headlines, laugh at the headlines and then, you know, and then go about their day or share them a couple
0: times. Yeah, well, and your graphics
1: too. I mean, you Yes
0: the the photos are just funny. You know, I, I remember one about, uh, I, I think it was about how the FDA and the seat, you know, a kid was having to wear a seat belt you know,
1: outside of his car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So the Photoshop's are, the photoshops just put it over the top um, when, when we get an outrageous one that, that, that connects with the headline and, and, and gives you a visual representation of it. Um, but yeah, that's where the joke is. It starts in the headline. And so our team of writers is in, you know, we're in a Slack channel, hanging out in there all day and looking at what's going on in the news and then just pitching ideas to each other based off of whatever the trending stories are um, to try to come up with something that works. And so we'll just iterate on these. Every now and then, someone will have like a seed thought that's really good. And then we'll iterate on that a little bit, try to get it just right. And, and it's very collaborative. Um, every now and then, a headline is pitched that's just right in its first draft, but usually it goes through a process of refinement and people pitching back and forth off the back of it um, to figure out just, just the right take on it. And then And then once we have kind of a of an agreement that this is one to move forward with, you know, we'll actually write up the article and do the Photoshop and publish it on the site. But but there's a lot of creative kind of back and forth that happens before we decide what we're going to go with. But uh, by having the joke in the headline first, we can know that we've got a good joke. Even, you know, we don't have to just write a bunch of articles and hope some of them stick. You know, we, we can really refine it in the headline before we even move forward with it. Um, but that's kind of the process. And I mean, my, my favorite ones, uh, There's there's a variety of them, but but some of them are just these absurd things that end up getting fact checked and 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 it's just amazing to me. Like, uh, we did one that USA today fact checked on how Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death had been overturned by the ninth circuit court, her death. And it's just so silly and absurd, but, but you look at the fact check and and they cite like 15 sources. They went to the ninth circuit court website. (laughs) They were making phone calls, sending emails to people to research this joke and refute it. Um, (laughs) and rate the claim false. And it's just so silly. It's it, it's, it, it makes me laugh uh, even more probably than, than the satire. So um, I love that stuff. Oh my gosh. That is some, that is really funny. Um, I'll tell you this though. That, that's an interesting one, actually that because that was a USA today fact check. If you scroll to the bottom of these, of these fact checks on USA today, they say in italicized font all the way at the bottom. Um, this fact check was paid for in part by grants from Facebook. So, Facebook pays USA really? to refute our jokes and then goes and cites those reputations of our jokes as a reason why they shouldn't be showing our content to anyone and should be demonetizing us. It's so circular. It's ridiculous.
0: I'd never heard that before. That's fascinating. They are just dripping in money and Hey, nobody, I don't want to disparage anybody for success in America, but to try to presuppose their outcome, it's just the political nature of it. you know, and, and they, um, I, I guess what bothers me is, you know, some people say, you know, like they did with Twitter. Well, hey, if you want, you know, if you don't like Twitter, it goes somewhere else. But then when they go and they create something else, then they make sure that they aren't able to get out there as well. So well, any other big concerns that you have about the future of satire and how you can get that information out? Because in today's today's day and age, you know, not everything is just like the old Jay Leno's of the world.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it is, on the one hand, it's concerning that there's all these attacks on satire, especially satire that they don't like. They're fine with their own. Um, I do think to some extent it's encouraging. You know, I would rather, I'd rather the New York Times uh, be coming after me than praising me, if we're being perfectly honest. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we got to fight back when they make these false claims. Um, And there is an extent to which the controversy does provide us with some fuel. I mean, it it generates a lot of attention. Um, I end up going on the media to talk about it. I have conversations with people like you about it uh, because of these efforts to silence us. So there is an ironic uh, backfiring happening here. where in trying to suppress our voice. They're really only amplifying it, uh, at least in the short term. Um, But I think I think for for people like us, you know, I I hope that we're encouraging more people to step out there and be bold and continue making jokes. Keep saying the things you're not supposed to say because you're free to say them and you should be free to say them. Um, And, you know, hopefully we have some success. I, I, I see that we've had some tremendous success in pushing back on this just because we haven't taken it lying down. Well, good for
0: you. We're talking to Seth Dillon, who's the CEO of the Babylon Bee. And if you haven't seen it, uh, or whether it be on social media or you go to their website, uh, it really is some funny stuff. You want to have a good chuckle or something that you can send to your friend to just say, to get them to smile about uh, you know, the all too serious world um it really is uh i i think a, a lot of fun seth uh, we want to get to know you a little bit better so if you don't mind it's it's probably time to do the rapid questions with you
1: all right this I'll, is dangerous
0: this is dangerous ter- territory seth it doesn't matter how many push ups you've done in your life or how much schooling you've had in your life but um we're going <laughs> to see how you do with the the these tough tough questions we put everybody through the ringer here you ready Hit me. All right. Favorite vegetable? Mm, Brussels
1: sprouts, preferably glazed with something delicious.
0: Yeah, when you glaze them all up and fry them. Oh, they're good that way. Oh, yeah. All right. If you met Bigfoot, what would you ask them?
1: Uh, Ooh, good question. Um, Say Daryl? How, well, I would... <laughs> I mean, I'd ask him his secret for staying incognito while being the biggest, uh, baddest beast out there. That's, that's, a, that's a tricky talent. Um, you know, I, I don't know. What would you ask him? I think I would ask him, I think
0: I'd say, is that you in that video? Like, let's go through <laughs> these videos. Is that you? Is that you? <sighs> or, or, And the, I think the other thing I'd ask him is, is there a Mrs. Bigfoot? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, smartest person you know.
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I'll tell you, some of the minds that are involved in the B are some of the sharpest minds I know. Our founder, Adam Ford, and our editor-in-chief, Kyle Mann, are absolutely brilliant. I love those guys.
0: Yeah, you know, the people that are involved in comedy it can consistently put out some funny stuff, they really are some of the brightest, smartest people out there. They, their mind just works a little faster, a little better, brings the thoughts together. I think there's a, so much brilliance in comedy that, stuff that comes together and works. there um, really is. Yeah. There's some smart people. What's, but who's the smartest person, you know?
1: Um, well, certainly the smartest one I work with is my brother. My brother is our chief technology officer and he's just a genius. I mean, he started out as an aeronautical engineer and I had him become a web developer so we could start some businesses together. And he, he's just absolutely brilliant with this stuff and can knock anything at what would take a huge team weeks to do. He can do it in a matter of hours or days, uh, on his own. So, um, he's just unbelievably productive and sharp good good all right
0: first concert you ever attended
1: um, first i had do people normally know the answer to that oh yeah. i don't know like, it might have been mine like was, a, mine was michael it, 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 jackson mile high stadium was it really back in the 80s yeah I think my first concert was probably a Christian concert. I grew up in a a church and uh, with my youth group would go to concerts like Newsboys or DC Talk or something like that. So it was probably one of those bands, Jars of Clay, maybe something like that. Um, Jars
0: of Clay. There we go. All right. The judges are accepting it. Your high school mascot. I uh, didn't have one. I was homeschooled. I guess that would be my mom. Homeschool.
1: Mom was my high school mascot. Yes. <laughs> your
0: mom was the high school mascot. <laughs> good answer. All right. We love homeschoolers, so that's that's good for you. All right, that's good. Worst thing you did as a kid?
1: Oh man, uh, I did. So I, at one point, when I was really young, uh, I think I was maybe ten years old or something like that. I had an older friend who was smoking cigarettes. And I stole a pack of cigarettes from his, from his dad uh, and smoked it in the, in the woods and then got sick and then confessed it to my parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I, I remember I, I shouldn't admit this because I don't know that I don't know that many people know this. Both my parents have passed away. So I, I but when I was a teenager, I went to go visit one of my cousins. And, uh, my, my cousin was a bit older than me. And first thing he did, he said, come on, let's go. We went out back, went around the fence. He got out some dip, you know, some, some chewing yeah. tobacco. I, I don't know how old was like 12 years old, 13 years old gets out this dip. And he, I take a big pinch of it and I put it mm-hmm. in. Well, I have no idea what to do. I threw up. I felt so sick. Oh, it was it. enough to scare me straight and to make sure that i never ever did that again because it was absolutely 110 percent disgusting yeah and i just' well, did in not my like case it. i don't know I that i'd sm- ever admitted that out loud but yeah i did that <laughs> it was stupid
1: i mean i hey, had to confess i was i had smoked a whole pack of cigarettes I, I they were gonna smell it on me for sure i was gonna smell like that for days oh no, no kidding no kidding hey i want to go back to your other question
0: about the uh the, about the homeschooling uh, by the way, there, sure. it prompted me to think, you know, one of my good friends that was, I was in Congress with was uh, Congressman Trey Gowdy, who was a long time, you know, 20 plus year, I think it was, prosecutor, both uh, yeah. local and uh, a federal prosecutor. And he he made an observation one day I thought was really interesting. He said, you know what, I have never had to prosecute somebody who is homeschooled and nobody that has uh, that was an Eagle Scout. And I just yeah. thought, you know mm-hmm. what, that says a lot about the quality of a person that at the end of the process, if you go out and get your Eagle scout, our son got a, his Eagle scout. I didn't, I didn't go through the scouting program, but my, our son did. And, uh, and homeschoolers, they just, he said, they just turn out to be really good, decent people. Anyway, I thought incredible. that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean,
1: you look at certain markers when, when, when you have two parents in the home rather than just one, you know, yeah. the, the criminal violence is way down. Um, you know, even success, career success can be predicted on, on the basis of things like that. I'm sure uh, I'm sure homeschooling, especially, you, you know, you, it's only going to get better from here, I think, because uh, the public schooling system, I think, is just failing us in so many ways. Um, you're going to see more and more homeschoolers excelling for a number of reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, couple more. First, childhood celebrity crush.
1: Oh, um, probably... Jennifer Love Hewitt, maybe? <laughs> good answer.
0: Judges accept that. Very worthy. All right. Favorite menu item at Taco Bell?
1: Oh, I don't think they make it anymore. The quesarito. I don't remember uh, that. I think they, they took it off the menu. I'm so fixated
0: on a the chalupa. I kind of like <laughs> the uh, – I, I really do like just the good old-fashioned – Bean burrito, add sour cream, no onions. I could eat those all day long. In fact, I pretty much do. Uh, someday you'll meet me and you think, yeah, that guy eats a lot of burritos. That's what yeah, you'll think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two questions, two more to go. Best James Bond.
1: Oh, man. Uh, you mean like the actual actor? I don't know. Uh, actor I'd, or movie. I'd say Sean Connery uh, for the actor the
0: bone he's he had For that accent that was just unparalleled right i'm kind of par- partial to pierce brosnan now a lot of people say that but i i like the guy i thought he was actually i I kind of visioned, yeah that's sort of what an english james bond would look like all right i never hear anyone say pierce brosnan you're you're in the minority there i really like the guy all right last question hidden talent that nobody knows about
1: uh i play guitar i don't know that a lot of people know that yeah very good it's a good talent yeah yeah
0: i can't play a musical instrument to save my life so <laughs> uh listen seth dylan he's the ceo of the babylon bee we really do appreciate you joining us today shedding some light on what's really going on behind the scenes if you haven't checked out their product and stuff and you want to get a good smile they do some good, clean stuff. That's just fun. It, it really is fun. And you know what? In today's world, particularly with politics, we can all use a good laugh. And I, I just I think there's so much truth that that comes out of these things as well. But it just gets you thinking about an issue and about how absurd some of these things are in life. But uh, you've got a great product, and to the men and women uh, behind the scenes working there, let them know I am a huge fan. So thanks again for joining us on Jason in the House.
1: Thanks
0: so much for having me on. So, I again, I, I'm i really grateful for uh, Seth to join us Sarah, and I hope you do get to look at the site. But as we close things out, I want to go back and review and make some predictions here. I predicted that Manchester City would win the Premier League in the English football, and uh, they did. They did so and did it in a big way. Uh, but I got to tell you, Chelsea was awfully good, and Chelsea did deny them. Uh, a few things along the way. But we did get that one right. It wasn't a big stretch to guess that Manchester City would do that. Phoenix Suns are rolling. Um, Personally, I like the Utah Jazz, but they're out. Suns rolling. Good things are happening there. I predict more good things would happen with them. Um, And then the Supreme Court ruling that we had a couple weeks ago about paying athletes. That's going to change the world of college athletics, and I don't think necessarily for the better. I think um, that genie is now out of the bottle, and uh, I can understand why it is and where it's going, but I'm just telling you, I just don't think college athletics will be uh, the better for it. Um, Some people help champion that. I disagree with that, Um, but nevertheless, it's happened And I think there's going to be all sorts of unintended consequences like taxes that these people are going to get. There's going to be a tax case. I think that they're going to get pushed. Student athletes are going to have to start paying taxes on the scholarships, And that is going to be a painful, painful thing. All right thanks again for listening to the jason in the house podcast you can listen and find more at uh, foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts we would appreciate if you'd hit those like buttons the little stars hit those review us rate us subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back with more next week i'm jason chaffetz and this has been jason in the house Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow podcast will be available on the go after
1: the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.